You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Donor Growth Podcast, where Mike Dirksen and little old me, Luis Diaz, chat every week on a topic related to donor growth. This is something that excites us, and we hope it excites you, too. Um, welcome, Mike. How are you doing? Doing well this morning, and I'm excited to get into today's topic um, because as somebody who runs a direct response agency who's very focused on sort of campaign-to-campaign metrics, Mm-hmm. This is something that is very important to me and, and that I try to talk to clients and our team about, um, which is that, that successful fundraising appeals have very little to do with the actual appeal itself. And okay. Well, I mean, this, this is just exploding my head already. And we just got started because they hire you to fundraise and then you go in and say, well, actually, you know, the letters are not going to to be the do-all and be-all and end-all of your fundraising. There's a whole lot more to think about. How do people take that? Well, I think sometimes when people think of direct response or direct response agencies, they think it's this thing that you're going to spin up. And this engine, this flywheel, which is how we talk about it. We talk about it as a flywheel. You're going to spin it up and it's going to just take care of the fundraising for you. And that's just not the case, right? Um, direct response huh. can be a great tool in, in your tool belt. But it mm-hmm. is not in and of itself a strategy, nor is it in and of itself like like your fundraising strategy. Um, it is it's just something to support your strategy. So you can't hide behind it. Um, you actually got to do a, a lot of relationship building work to make mm-hmm. those campaigns more successful. It's the strategy that makes your fundraising work. That's such a such a good insight. Um, do you offer advice on strategy or do you implement some of these things that we're going to talk about today that maybe are like beyond the appeal letter? Yeah, no, absolutely we do. Um, we mm-hmm. Every client is is in a weekly or bi-weekly weeding with us to talk about these sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. And we we also implement a lot of this. So, um, uh, you know, we can possibly get into examples here as well. But Let's these are five things that you can do to raise more gifts before asking. And what I mean is before asking is really between appeals. Well, yeah, I mean, people, they do accuse us of always asking. So um, it has to be in between, right? Um you have an infamous percentage of how much of the results you think are driven by the ask and how much by the in-between ask activity. Yeah, the way uh, we think that? about it, the way we think about it, and this is you know not scientific, this hasn't been measured in any way because it's kind of impossible to measure, but the way we think about it is that you know the strength of your appeal and the campaign and the offer and everything else together is about 20%. And then 80% is what you do between appeals and how you're treating donors and how your stewardship uh, is happening and how you're building relationships and how your organization is showing up in other ways. Spot on. And for, you know, I work with shops that are supposedly highly sophisticated, which means they have different departments for stuff, you know. Um, And what ends up happening is that they ask, you know, the in-house Mike Dirksen, the uh, whatever they're calling it, direct response, mass solicitation, you know, they're, they're holding that person accountable for the 100%. 
Right. Um, and in the meantime, you know, the engagement, the stewardship, the donor relations are like, well, that's not our job, you know, and there's just a whole lot of meetings and that type of thing. So I, I, I love that you're presenting it in such a clear and direct way. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is sometimes, you know, we talk about the difference between technical players and, and relationship players and people mm-hmm. can definitely be both. But sometimes when you have a highly technical player, let's say somebody who's really good at writing, mm-hmm. um, who just aren't good at building relationships with donors one on one, it's not their thing. They're, it's the, the, it's just not their natural sort of way that they show up in the world. Yeah, we all have our talents. We all have our talents. Um, or you have somebody who's very charismatic, uh, loves meeting with donors and with people, but like they're terrible at writing emails and um, they, or contact reports. Right. Yeah. And we kind of expect both of those people to do everything. This goes back to our, you know, our last episode. Can fundraisers learn anything from sales teams where sales teams, everybody has a job and knows their job and does their job. And it's mm-hmm. structured that way. Um, we kind of expect everything from fundraisers, um, but but there are are different roles here, and and you know technical players can be really good at one thing, and relationship players can be really good at another thing, and they really need to work together as a team. That's so cool, and you know a role that I frequently find missing is that of the strategist. You know, and I'm not going to say that's why people ask for outside help, but that they could perfectly do it. You know. Yeah, uh, there could be inside talent, but the person that looks at all of this holistically beyond the tools, like you just said, um, yeah, that's that seems super important. So, um, let me see. You said there are five things to do. Any particular reason that are five, did, or did you just is this? You know, are there in fact like maybe twelve things, and these are the top five, or you think this is about you know covers most of what every nonprofit should be doing? Yeah, no, I'm, you know, there's probably, there's probably lots of things like, you know, cool. 20, 30, 40. I mean, there's so much things that you could be doing. These are the five things that I would say is if we're, if we're doing Pareto's principle, these are the five things that will get you, uh, that are big level of the goal to get you. Yeah. Yeah. A good amount of them. Okay. Because yeah. this is a thing that has come up in, in lots of my, um, conversations with fundraisers. Um, you know, the, the cost benefit analysis of all of this. And um, I'm almost appalled that this conversation keeps happening. Um, but um, people do question it, right? You know, is this worth it? Right? Yeah. Um, do you see? Do you have data? Like, do you have like, for, for instance, clients who just don't do any of it? And others like, do you have a way of comparing that? A little bit. We we are often careful to benchmark clients against each other, because every organization is pretty different. It's so, impossible, so of course against themselves based on past mm-hmm. performance. I can tell you that uh, as the uh, executive director, previously executive director of a, of a small shop that grew, these are some of the key things that we did to, to mm-hmm. help our fundraising grow. Um, yeah. and, and certainly many of our clients are seeing a lot of success with this. The clients we get to do the best work for are implementing a lot of this stuff. This is really cool. So let's dive right into it. Number one, and if, I hope it's okay if I, if I go down your list, um, measuring the donor experience. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the goal here is to really quickly rate the experience your donors are having with you at any time they interact with you. So whether that's at an event, whether that's they just made an online donation, or even if, they sent, even if they're getting a direct mail appeal from you is... Okay. 
um, this is just a tiny micro survey, three to six questions that you're going to ask related to how they felt about it, if they felt pushed into it, if they felt like the decision to give was theirs and theirs alone, if they felt connected to the cause, if they felt like the people they were helping or the cause they were helping, that that was meaningful to them. And so there's... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mike. I'm going to play the fundraiser here um, who's saying um, this is like the implement this is a good idea um how do i implement it it seems hard and you know we don't have staff yada 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 sure i mean and and let's just take it it by context um mm -hmm. if you have an event you can have that email that you already should be sending which is after the event thanking everybody for coming um because you're gonna maybe you're gonna have an event registration list right you're gonna know who's gonna be there so you can Hopefully. have a, a really personal email ready that just says thank you so much for coming by the way we're we're trying to make these things better for you We'd love to know what your experience was do you mind taking um 12 seconds to answer a four question survey mm -hmm. um, that's it right so it's not super hard to implement uh you can uh, you can send those results um some of our clients are just using like Google survey and then just like the results just go to, to literally like a, a Google spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. um, you can, if, if you're sending out mail anyways, uh, you can include that little survey right in the mail, like right on the reply device or as a box slip, you can include that little survey. If you are already taking online donations, which most of us are, you are probably sending them to a post donation thank you page. And in that thank you page, you know, they just made a gift. Wow, what a kind and caring person you are. Amazing. Here's what your gift is going to do. I look forward to keeping you updated. Would you mind just giving us some quick feedback about what your experience was was like just now? Right? Okay. Um, so that's that's it. It's not that hard to implement. It doesn't have to be super technical. If you can use Google, you know, Google Forms, um, you, you can do this. Okay. And I just want to um, kind of share that there is research that shows that um, this actually works and it raises more money uh, down the line. So, you know, ask having that type of two-way conversation, there are questions that you might ask, maybe not in the post-gift survey, but, you know, that kind of make people uh, feel or uh, highlights part of parts of their identity that make them more likely to yeah. make gifts. So, um, I mean, this, yeah, I vouch for this. It's actually a great idea. Yeah, and there's there's two there's two sort of benefits that you're gonna get from this. One is in aggregate, you're gonna see how your donor experience is. So we are all talking about, oh, we should have a better donor experience, and the donor experience matters so much. Well, how can you improve it if you're not actively measuring it? So you don't yeah. actually know if you're making it better or not, right? You you need a bit of a baseline to see if you can improve it. So if you make this a continuous business process that just runs in the background for for almost everything you do. And then in mm -hmm. aggregate, you just look at the data and you see, you know, how you're doing. Are exactly. You and you report on it and you look at it and you take it to a meeting and that's you know, right. somebody looks at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's one benefit. The other benefit is that you can individually go back to people who maybe scored low on something. So mm -hmm. if somebody scored low on an autonomy question, like like I felt like the decision was was to give was mine and mine alone. And they said, no, like I felt pushed into it or I felt guilted or whatever. You can go back to that person. And you can actually build a lot of trust, right? Um, by by sort of well, it shows that you care. It shows that you value them. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. So both exactly. in aggregate and on the individual level, you're going to get some um, some actionable data here. That's really good. Is this like a net promoter score? So is it a one to ten um, type of thing? Do you have? You know, you mentioned that autonomy question. Do you do you have a set of questions that you are partial for? Yeah, there's there's a set of questions that a company called Donor Voice um, has mm-hmm. has published that, and we follow their methodology. So cool. people listening to this podcast can can Google that. Um, but basically, you're asking questions on autonomy. You're asking questions on connectedness, like how connected mm-hmm. somebody felt to the cause. Um, and the net promoter score um, is is usually a question, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? Um, mm-hmm. It's been proven to be completely useless. Uh, <laughs> I love this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, you know, in, including the creators of the net promoter score. Um, so um, this is this is different. Um, yeah, okay. it's actually let's not start it. a conversation like the last one on the donor development continuum, please. Yeah. We need to build, <laughs> not tear down. Yeah, um, that was a really interesting insight. So for yeah. folks who are listening, donor voice, um, reach out to Mike. Um, he's always there for advice. I'm also happy to um, give you my five yeah. cents. You, you can also follow a guy called Kevin Schulman on LinkedIn, who publishes Kevin a lot Schulman. of the the research um, around this, and he's he's a great follow on LinkedIn. Okay, so there's like this continuous uh, business process that you can actually run pretty cheaply or at no cost, um, and it's pretty much automatic. And then you get it in a spreadsheet. You just have to commit to putting the survey out and communications that you're already doing and then looking at the data maybe as a team, maybe with leadership in some way that's substantial, that's not just checking a box. So right. you you say that's number one, table stakes. Number two is doing like a more in-depth survey. Yeah, number two is some sort of um, supporter connection survey, um, sometimes just called a donor survey. Um, so this is this is a bit of a beefier survey. So in the in the first point we talked about, there it's kind of like a micro survey, and you're just asking people to rank stuff. Yeah. In the supporter connection survey, you are it's a bit of a mix between ranking stuff, between selecting stuff, but then also like open fields, like you're asking people to mm-hmm. to contribute some of their their own thoughts and your goal here uh, is multifaceted so you're trying to see who might be a prospect for a monthly giving like who might become a monthly giver um who might be interested in legacy giving um who might be able to be a mid or major donor um Mm -hmm. you're trying to identify brain share contributors we talked on on previous podcasts about the importance of asking for brain share before asking Mm -hmm. for wallet share Mm -hmm. um and then you're also just getting some open feedback. And I, I know what somebody, you know, people listening to this might think was like, oh man, this is going to be a lot of messy qualitative data. And yes, it is. It's, uh, you're, uh, that's what mm-hmm. you're going to get. So you kind of got to take this, um, you got to take this and you got to evaluate it along your quantitative data and, and how donors have been acting and donating and, inter- and like some of that hard data that you can look at. And you, you take both mm-hmm. of those together and you balance them and, and your picture is going to go from low resolution to being a little bit more high resolution. It's going to come into focus a little bit more. I mean, in a, if I can defend this idea, I'm, I'm doing very surprisingly a, a survey that's very similar to what you just described for folks. I'm also asking them for their data. 
their donor data. And you can run these surveys in a way that ties back, you know, in an anonymized way, of course, of the response to the data you have. And you can do, you can get really deep insights as to, you know, how are my major donors thinking? Um, how are, you know, donors at this level or sporadic donors? Yeah. Um, and, and there's lots of, you know, good stuff. I think there's a level, Mike, that probably people can um, uh, kind of do maybe with a one-person team, but with maybe if you have an, um, uh, an analyst or something like that, um, this is quite valuable, uh, at yeah. least in, in my experience. Yeah, and, and you'll want to run this, you know, you'll for sure want to run this for newer donors. Um, and then for existing donors, you'll want to run it once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, one of the sort of main critiques that 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 mass donor fundraising sometimes gets, which is mm-hmm. that well, major donor fundraising, like the, that lever, you pull that lever, it's a, it's a it's less effort for a lot more money, right? Mm-hmm. And what a donor connection survey, part of what allows you to do is actually I start to identify who might become middle and major donors, because yeah. you can ask questions like, and you can you can. Uh, customizes based on the person's giving history but you can ask questions like um hey if in the next few months a, a need comes up would you be in a position would you would you consider making a gift of a thousand or more or two thousand or more or five thousand or more right? yeah so the critical um, part here is that you're asking about things in the future you're not coming across as i pretended that this was a survey but it's really an ask right it's exactly. just we're need well you know people understand yeah. that you need to plan and that this is information that can be helpful. You're not kind of selling your, you know, your, your wallet, or you know, you're not giving away your, your wallet to anybody. Yeah, and you also wouldn't ask that question early on in the survey. So you, so you're mm-hmm. going to think about your survey design. You're gonna, you're gonna make sure that cool. that you build kind of trust leading up to some of those questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you ever test um, kind of messaging or you know, like nonprofits have needs? And then donors are interested in supporting some things and there may be alignment or not with those needs. Yeah. Um, kind of more, you know, in the context of like campaign feasibility studies and that type, you know, do you ever test that? We've asked questions like, you know, what part of the work are you most interested in or what part okay. of the work? But um, we, we, we've gone more and more to having that be an open field question rather than a list of, of here's like four program areas that we have and then like mm-hmm. rain, education or water. Because the truth is um, that what people say they might be interested in is not what they end up giving to. So the huh. best way to find out what somebody's interested in um, is either like an open field question and then they can just, you know, they'll give you answers that you're like, oh, well, we don't even do this. Um Interesting mm-hmm. that you think of us as the people who do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and or just um, seeing what they've been giving toward, which is sort of the ultimate indicator of of what they care about. Um, but yeah, for sure, uh, open field questions more and more moving toward open field questions for a lot of stuff. Awesome, and I think we can also share that there are free tools out there. Maybe some of them come with Excel, some of them are online. You can, like, if you have a bunch of answers, there, you know, just Google for um, word cloud tools, yeah. and you know that can probably, like, if there's one word that repeats itself all the time, um, or a couple, you know, pair of words, you know, that can get you started at least uh, along a path, and it's yeah. not too time intensive. Right. So this is okay. So the surveys, um, big believer, you've. Um, opened my mind um, to this area. So I'm grateful, Mike. Impact, the next one, number three, impact report letter or email. And people are going to have all types of mental images of what an impact report is. So if you could share first what you're thinking about, um, I think that will be helpful. 
Yeah, sure. Whatever you're thinking about, it's probably not that, not that. Um, so it's <laughs> it's not an annual report. Um, it's not this thing with a lot of stats. Um, it's not a newsletter. Although we're big fans of of donor newsletters, um, and they could be super effective. But this this is not what I'm talking about. Um, this is really this is literally like a letter from mom. This is like a personal time bound specific update on their last gift. Right. So the, the human brain loves novelty and specificity. We know that in the reasons that donors outline why they stopped giving, mm-hmm. like 70 to 80% of those reasons are entirely dependent on us not doing a good job reporting back on their gift. Yeah, that's and, Penelope and, Burke at the very yeah. least, and there are others, yeah, right? Penelope Burke, yeah. yeah. And then um, some research by Dr. Adrian Sargent as well. Um, I, I didn't know that my gift made a difference. Um, I forgot that I ever donated to them. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, or, you know, the, yeah. the typical, I made my, the, the easiest way to stop hearing from a nonprofit is to give them money. No, I think that's right. an actual saying. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think that slogan is like, give them $1,000 or something and you'll never hear from them again because <laughs> they'll, they'll be um, like, oh, we don't want to bother you now. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Um, I mean, I think if we can... Yeah. Put all caps. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is, and and you know, you you you're probably not going to do this for every appeal, but for sure, every now and again, you should be doing this. It makes a big difference. We often recommend just doing it in house, and then actually like developing some pictures at like Walmart, like you would use to uh-huh. when you send people pictures in the mail, um, and just like like send it to them, and it's going to be a novel thing that nobody else is doing, by the way. Um, you're going to stand out in a big way here. Super no, you're giving personal. it out. Mike, your secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's 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 going to be a specific update on their gift. So if your last campaign asked for something specific, six to eight weeks later, send them back an update on that very specific thing, as specific as you can be. And you'll realize this forces you to make your campaign not just like a general, broad, vague, annual fund appeal, but actually mm, give need. the donor a clear offer, a clear need. Strategic priorities. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <exactly>. sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so often we open up the story loop and we say, hey, can you help with this? And then they give and we say, thank you so much. This is amazing. It's going to be do so many things. And we never specifically update them back on that gift. And the excuse is always, always, oh, we can't. We have people giving to so many different things and... Um, well, you That's know what? Funny. Doing something is better than nothing. So even if you've got yeah. people, like even if you've got money coming in for twenty different things, um, you can prioritize. Pick a few of those things and just start doing this. Um, you kind of owe it to the donors who 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 are investing in this way, right? You know like that you that's. Were- I'm sorry, Mike, but that's not the the reason that I've heard um, for not doing this. The the reason I've heard was more like financial, like, well, but it's not really like if you ask, you know, I don't, I don't know if uh, and this is more in the higher education context, right? You know, like w- in what yeah. bucket the money goes uh, and then, well, but yes, but it's going to our bottom line and it's not really going into helping this particular student that you I mean, you know, you, you see yeah. what I mean? Or, or um, and, and there's a lot of like splicing you know hairs splicing hairs 
Yeah. Um, Honestly, this is a giant issue that we need to figure out, and it's it's it, we see it all the time as well, Lewis. But you have to ask yourself: if money didn't come on come in, would we exist? The answer for for a lot of shops is no. So everything that comes in supports your mission in one way or another, right? Yeah. Like like every organization is one bad fiscal year away from closing their doors. Um, every organization is 10 to 20 major donors stepping away at once from closing their doors. Every organization is a bad PR crisis away from having a really hard time financially. Right? Mike, this is brutal. So you are stepping out in faith as a nonprofit. You just are. And if that doesn't come in, you don't exist. You don't have a mission. So get over this fact that, oh, but this money goes here. It didn't go there. So we can't update them on this and we can't ask for this because that... I, I get restricted funding. Do what you have to do to make that work. But but in your thinking, just think of all the money coming in, supporting all of your mission. And and donors don't necessarily care. Some do. By and large, donors don't really care about how you structure your accounting. They exactly. want to help with what you're doing. They want to be part of it. It matters to them. It matters to who they are. It's a way of expressing their values in the world. It's a way that they want to show up, that they can feel good about who they are. They want to feel like they're helping. They want to feel like they're needed. And it's and a story like, that they're telling themselves, right? Yeah, they're, they're buying a story about the kind of person they are. And exactly. they just want to feel like they have this autonomy and they have this power to do this. And And that's what it's all about. So your job is to reinforce that because it's true and to to help them understand that they're becoming a better person by giving and philanthropy yeah. and they're part of this important well, team and and you know i think we're all good and bad right we all have good parts of ourselves and um you know when i met my wife um i would hear she's bringing out the best in you so i i thought you know i, I need to stay in this relationship forever please but um other than thinking that um as we think of donors, you know, you're trying to surface to bring out the, you know, you, you remind them of the best part of themselves. You know, I don't yeah. think there's anything manipulative about this. Um, and so when you start letting the finances, uh, it's it's complex, right? I know people want to be very correct and not yeah. say anything that could be incorrect. But, you know, also think at one point, are you just kind of covering for yourself? You know, like, I don't want this to come back to me. And what you know? At what point are you doing it for the donor? Uh, it, it's a it's really complex, but I come across this a whole lot too, Mike. Yeah, yeah. It it, it is a balance you got to strike, and you are dealing with internal constraints all the time. Some of those are real constraints. A lot of them are imagined, but but they're constraints nonetheless. Um, but but this is you know the restricted versus unrestricted, uh, clear offers versus vague offers. And, and then how you report back. I just think that maybe we just haven't thought about it creatively enough. Like, um, you know, uh, you can change the words you use. And uh, if you don't like the way something sounds because it implies something, I don't know, let's try three different angles and, and see if we can come out at a solution where, we, mm -hmm. where we're accurate and where we can still honor the donor's intent and and like help them understand that they're yeah. that they're an important part of this team that they're doing something good in the world and reminding them of the best versions of themselves. That's so so inspiring and you know really pragmatically that's why sometimes it helps um, to call up somebody like Mike um, and 
have an outside voice kind of say this, you know, things that you already knew. But um, I do find it helps. I know it's silly, but um, it can help kind of people achieve, right. you know, these important goals. And at the end of the story, um, uh, GoFundMe, Facebook, uh, peer-to-peer fundraisers are eating up our lunch. Yeah. So, and that's all about specificity, right? Or people buying Airbnbs um, in Ukraine, which is really complex and maybe not the right thing. Um, it might, you know, it might not be the right thing. And there's a whole debate on LinkedIn about, well, is that philanthropy or not? I, I don't know. That's not for us for us to decide. Um, people have decided it is philanthropy. That's where they're putting mm-hmm. their money. Uh, exactly. We can we can raise up our arms all we want and say no, but that's not healthy development, and it should be going to these organizations that that are working on building supply chains for 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 the most vulnerable, and not just buying up Airbnbs for Ukrainians who are already decently wealthy because they have Airbnbs. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to decide how people make those choices. What we get mm-hmm. to decide is what story we are going to tell. Right. You so you don't like the story being told tell a better story that's on you yeah very brave awesome okay so that impact report or letter that was not what we were thinking about um thank you for clarifying i love that it's something that anybody can do anybody can go and develop some photos kind of old-fashioned or um you know just come up with something a newspaper remember when we used to send newspaper clippings all the time to our constituents I feel yeah. like that has been lost, and it used to be a really cool thing. Yeah. By the way, if you if if you are featured in the news, you can still do that, um, and it's it's still novel. Um, I know <laughs> do nowadays newspapers we exist? Might, we might just put a link on like our social medias uh, to a story, but um, but if you are if you are being published in an actual newspaper and it's about your organization, it's still a pretty novel thing to do. Very cool, and it shows impact. So yeah. that that's amazing. Okay. Number four, as it happens, updates and requesting specific advice. So, um, again, to recap, uh, these are the five things that you think can give you the most bang for your buck um, to do between solicitations. Um, And number four is asking for advice on very specific things. How do you how do you manage this? It's it's both asking for advice and also updating. So I, I put those both in the same bucket. The key is as it happens. So this is ad hoc. Um, you're not going to be able to plan for this very well. Um, but but just think about if something cool really happened at your shop, right? Like a really great story that just happened, something that feels significant or important. Um, why wouldn't you just quickly share that with a donor and share the credit? I mean, and Mike, you're basically deconstructing everything a really good gift officer does. Um, you know, which they do in their one-on-one relationships. Yeah, and, and you're not trying to come across as disingenuine and like pre- pre- pretending that this is like, like I'm, I'm only writing this to you. Like this is obviously going to be a mass email. Um, you don't have to necessarily hide that fact. I would still make it a plain text email so it looks as personal as possible. But these little micro updates... Keep them short. Um, sometimes, sometimes the objection is, ah, we don't want to send too many emails. We don't want the unsubscribe rate to go up. For sure, watch the unsubscribe rate, right? And if that starts to go up, 
um, you you may have a problem. But the the reason people don't like emails is because they're not relevant and they're not useful and they're not valuable. So you're providing something emotionally valuable to the donor. Don't don't sneak an ask in here. Don't do anything else other than than giving an update, giving the donor some credit, saying thank you for being part of this. Um, it, and you can. There's just so many opportunities for you to update donors. Another objection that I typically hear um, kind of from the marketing department. Well, we already posted about that on social media. Um, I mean, I have my thoughts. Do you have thoughts? What, what, what is your answer to that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. First of all, do you know how many of the supporters that you have in your CRM, in your database, on your donor file? Do you know how many of them are connected to you on social media? Um, most people don't. They know we have uh, 10,000 donors on file and we've got um, 20,000 Facebook friends or whatever, like likes on Facebook. Um, have you ever like actually tried to see how many of your donors you're connected with on social media? And then how many of those donors interacted with that post and even saw that post? The answer is very few. <laughs> Right. So, um, and even if you did, even if they saw it on social media, since when is multiple touch points a bad thing? We're all living in this omni-channel world where 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 we're realizing that there's no online donor, there's no offline donor, there's no social media donor. There's just like humans who interact in a different context in different ways with different channels, and so. Um, if that's how your donor shows up in the world, um, it's I, it's an act of generosity to show up that way for them. Yeah. And another potential strategy slash compromise, you know, if there's a lot of pushback to doing it, the strategy with everybody, just choose your loyal donors, three, five-year consecutive uh, donors who are most probably ignored otherwise or are just getting all your regular stuff. And, you know, send it out as, a, as an email merge, an Outlook or in, in, in Gmail, whatever you use. Um, and depending on your size, that's typically a number that's pretty manageable. You know, it's going to be at most, you know, I, I don't know. It depends, of course, on your list, right? But, uh, you know, if it's a couple of thousand, you send it in a couple of days. Um, if it's 500 people, you send it in one, you know, in one blast. Um, at least you're doing something, like Mike said. Yep, absolutely. And the other part is this brain share thing, but um, we're, we're going to get into that in the next point as well. But um, just requesting specific advice, it's not a bad thing to every now and again send an email and saying, hey, here's, you know, here's this thing we're thinking about. Here's a challenge. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? We're thinking of going this way, but we wanted to ask our supporters to see what they're thinking about it. Right. Um, and then you're going to get a lot of, again, messy qualitative data, um, but that's okay. Um, take the time to sort through it, see if there's common themes, and um, see if there are donors in there who actually are raising their hand in a significant way where you could be like, okay, this is interesting. Let's have a follow-up phone call or follow-up conversation with them if they're interested because it sounds like they're really invested. And it will happen. And, you know, like if you're thinking, uh, you know, Mike and Lewis are making this up. No, we've tried this. Um, it will happen. You will get gifts that are 10x, 20x what the last person gave um, yeah. from this type of relationship building. Kind of, It's kind of mass individualized. You know, it's in that middle space, right? Yeah. Um, 
what so and this is so you say you send an email you ask for you know thoughts advice and you get a bunch of replies um do you typically tell people to be aware you know like they're, they're you, you need to prepare for you know there somebody needs to be available to respond to these things right yeah absolutely so say you're sending it out from the ceo and the ceo doesn't really know or hasn't really proved it and all of a sudden you get like 50 replies and you're like oh my goodness we need to get back to some of these people and the ceo is like yeah i'm out of town for the next seven days <laughs> so you you have to plan this out a little bit you have to know who's going to reply mm -hmm. and it helps to just have a bit of a threshold of if it's this thing the ceo will deal with it directly if it's not we can deal with it on on his behalf um but yeah you gotta be prepared to have human conversations about this you got to be prepared oh to be goodness, that's so scary i'm trembling um and the <laughs> thing is so few people do it that it will it works really well i mean kind of like your idea you know your your proposal of of doing those impact letters or updates um you're you're going to surprise people when you do this um positively Yeah. Um, okay. Quarterly number five. Finally, the 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 last recommendation that Mike Dirksen has for things to do in between appeals. Uh, remember, what happens in between appeals is probably eighty percent of the result you're going to get at the end uh, from the appeal. So, quarterly investors call. Is this like a town hall, like what we call here? A, a town hall meeting. Um, do you actually call them investors calls? Yeah, Lewis, you you've you've run these a bunch. Um, sometimes they're called town halls. Um, in Canadian politics, town halls is a thing, so that's why I, I call them investors call. Um, I don't mean like the political sort of town halls where people um, can can join by by phone and 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 candidates discuss their issues and take questions. Um, mm -hmm. This is. Um, This is sort of looking at the for-profit space, and I and 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 uh, we have established that that nonprofits are very different than for-profits. So don't get me wrong here, but public <laughs> companies are required to every quarter disclose everything, um, like all their earnings, um, everything they've been up to. Uh, it's a massive amount of paperwork <laughs> and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. uh, companies have people just working on, on these quarterly reports. Mm -hmm. But then shareholders get to jump on the call and, and analysts and ask some questions, right? And that mm -hmm. is because public companies are using the money of people that um, people invest in them and now they become part owner. Um, so it's an accountability measure. I don't think that we should be this onerous for charities. I'm glad charities aren't required to do this. But man, mm -hmm. um, I think we can learn something here. Like we could have our own version of a quarterly investors call. We could build in public. We could we could say, hey, we're we're basically a public company. People are giving us money out of their goodness of their heart because we've promised them we're going to do something with it and we're going to achieve mm -hmm. something. In to the do world. a public service, right? Social service, yep. yeah. Yeah, to build the common good. So why don't mm -hmm. we update them on it? And this is not pressure to say, hey, every quarter you've got to show results. You've got to show this. You show them how you use the money. This is not to 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 say donors have yeah, all the power exactly. and they're going to tell us what to do. And then we're beholden to them and we're going to have to up. This is to say, we've asked you to invest in this important and meaningful thing. Here's where we're at with that. So share your progress. 
share your wins, but share your losses too. Share um, some of the things that you're struggling with right now. We talked about social proof a lot. Bring on a volunteer. Bring on um, a program participant. We've talked about um, taking program like managers or directors to donor meetings. Um, interview interviews a subject matter expert, and when you interview them, the nice thing is that if they give a very technical answer, you as the moderator, you get to reframe that answer or say, oh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or, uh-huh. oh, if I understand you correctly, this is what you said in, in like in really like layman's terms. Um, so that's a nice way of having a subject matter expert talk to your donors, but you get to simplify it on the spot and donors get to ask questions on the spot, right? So you're not going to have a lot of people show up to these, by the way. That's going to feel like, what? We're jumping on, on, we're putting a lot of effort into this and there's like 20 or 30 or 40 donors showing up. Um, that's okay because the people who do show up um, are, are going to get more invested, um, probably going to be your true believers. And you get to repurpose this as content for weeks and months to come if you're smart about it. And the regularity of this is also part of the effect. Uh, you know, so when you do it regularly and people like say, oh, like this is an organization that does these calls. Suddenly that just builds that trust factor, even if you don't actually attend any of them. You know, how many stockholders go to these, you know, public company calls? Well, a, a small proportion, right? But just knowing that they're there builds trust. Well, folks, I hope this is being recorded. We had some technical difficulties today. And you know what I'm going to do? Mike and I are going to say not goodbye, but we're going to say see you later. We'll continue this conversation. It was so exciting that the internet broke down on us. So... Um, we hope to see you next week. This was the Donor Growth Podcast. Follow Mike Durkson on LinkedIn, Luis Diaz. Um, we have some resources available for everybody who can use them. And it was great to spend some time with you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible. 